that, that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. and welcome to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So, like a lot of people in these halcyon days, catfishing, trolling, and cyberstalking, I get hit with online harassment campaigns, and not infrequently. Now, there's a quick content and language warning for this show. Harassers get pretty intense, and I'm going to quote their actual language of violation and violence to give you a real sense of it. So last year, I wrote a piece about how to accept kindness from Trumpites when I'm finding it very difficult to forgive and forget. And the responses started rolling in to show me how kind Trumpites can be and how much I should accept that kindness. First, I got this one from someone called Dave Stobe on Facebook. Dave wrote, cunt, hoping for a slow, painful death for you and your family. And then things really ramped up. A flood of short messages calling me fat, stupid, or an idiot. And then there were longer ones from people who put a little more thought into it. Like this one from Rose Roski on Twitter, who wrote, Sounds like you haven't been bent over and plowed in a long time. Maybe that's why you're, why oh you are, so uptight. Now, I'm not Amber Heard. I'm not Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton or Christine Blasey Ford. I'm not at the center of some nationwide debate. And most people have no idea. I've never heard my name. But I'm another schmo that gets this stuff all the time. I'm trying to be cool about it, but I can't tell you how stressful it is, how it wears you down to get hateful message after hateful message, not just about me, but about my family. It feels very weird to start calling the FBI because people found my address and threatened to come to my actual house. Then there's always the possibility that I can get swatted, which has happened to friends of mine. That means when someone calls the cops and gives out your address as a place where abuse or crimes are being committed, so they send a SWAT team, which holds up the police and you, and you spend the rest of the day explaining why you didn't do anything. I find this exhausting, but I also have found that it's something, sadly, that I have gotten used to in years as a journalist. Fortunately, my guest today does not think we have to get used to this. Imran Ahmed is the founder and CEO of the Center for Countering Digital Hate in the U.S. and the U.K., Imran, welcome to This is Critical. Thank you. It's really good to be here with you. Tell us about the organization you founded, the Center for Countering Digital Hate. 
Well, I mean, I founded the organization almost six years ago. In fact, it was June the 16th, 2016 was the event that triggered it, the assassination of my colleague at the time, Joe Cox, who was a member of parliament in the UK, a mother of two, and she was killed by a far-right terrorist who'd been radicalized online during the EU referendum. And, you know, my awareness that the slogans the man was shouting as he killed her were taken straight from the internet, straight from misinformation and hatred flowing unabated in digital spaces. Digital spaces on platforms that we were all familiar with, these were Facebook groups. Uh, these were things that we thought were for, you know, knitting circles and people interested in, I don't know, Transformers or Marvel movies. And actually there were spaces where anti-Semites felt they could radicalize and inform each other. And CCDH since then has grown. And, you know, one of the things that's been really powerful for me is that lots of people have said that our analysis of the problem and our advocacy on behalf of victims groups. Now, at the time, it was, you know, looking specifically at white supremacist terrorism. But we, we started working with women's groups on misogyny, on the undermining of sexual and reproductive rights. We're working at the moment with the LGBT groups on, um, on hatred and disinformation around um, gay people, around trans people. And what we've seen is that there is a solid core to the problem. Solid core to the problem is that in digital spaces, there appear to be no rules. Even though there are stated rules, when you all sign up to a platform, we all sign up to community standards, the problem is that they're not enforced. And so rules without enforcement mean that there are no rules in reality anyway. And we've done a ton of work on, on finding ways to, to, to make platforms feel they have to enforce the rules that we all agree to when we sign up to them. So I have a personal interest in this. Over my many, many years on the internet, I've been pretty relentlessly targeted with digital hate. I, I haven't had it as bad as some people, but I've had it worse than most people. I've had a limitless number of rape and gas chamber threats. So when Trump was elected, I got a lot of anti-Semitic hate. My, my son wears a yarmulke. We're associated with Jewish institutions. So I set my location to Germany, even though I stayed in the U.S. And I recommend this to anyone. You can set your location just at your choice on Twitter. And I chose a town in Germany that I had only heard of, have never visited. And I ended up under the rubric of protections you get in Germany. It's sort of this little-known way to avoid hate speech because there are huge sanctions on Facebook and Twitter if they let right-wing hate stand. And I've also had Tucker Carlson's followers come after me. So I'm intimately familiar with all of this, sadly, um, but I don't know much about it from a research perspective. And I'd love to hear what your organization has learned. Well, I mean, let me start by saying I'm really sorry to hear that you've not just suffered abuse for a long time, but that you've got to the stage now where you've you've had to develop really complicated strategies and tactics for dealing with it. You know, you're someone that's witnessed the normalization of hate being expressed in a way that it hasn't openly in offline spaces for a long time. But in online spaces, people feel empowered because of a lack of consequences for behaving in a racist or misogynist way to get away with it. And if you, if you face no consequences, then you believe that you are acting with impunity. 
And that's really, really dangerous. We know that it has an offline impact as well because those people feel empowered to then take actions offline, believing themselves to be able to act with impunity, believing that, that you know, the, the lack of action gives them sucker. And that's bad. Thank you for just saying those simple things because normalizing it and finding ways to stop myself from thinking just I don't want to fall into the illusion that everybody is threatening me with violence. But we'll talk about that. I mean, I think the point that you make about shifting your location to Germany is a reflection both of your incredible awareness of the legislative frameworks around the world, the fact that Germany's Netz DG, which is a law yes. that prohibits hate speech online, gives you the right to a hate-free experience online, something that the community standards already say that they will do. But in reality, we all know in practice that never happens. They don't yeah. enforce their standards. But it's, it's a reflection of both your capacity to sort of see the opportunity there. But it's a chilling reminder that you only feel safe because you are protected by the German laws. Under US law, a Jewish woman would not feel safe on social media. And, you know, I speak to people who talk about the dynamics of, of power, abuse, and safety in creating spaces in offline geography. So things like streetlights are really powerful for making people feel safe when they're walking home from the train at night. Mm online enforcing the rules that are already there are ways in which you essentially turn on the streetlights the problem is that facebook don't want to turn on the streetlights because it costs too much money mm. yeah um which is the same reason local authorities give they say we're going to have partial night lighting well you know facebook's doing the same thing but with digital spaces they've turned all the lights off and at night every awful person out there feels empowered and normal people like you or me don't feel safe so the reason I feel so hopeful when I read your work or when I talk to people at places like the Oxford Internet Institute is that you all seem to think something could be done about this. Laws can be passed. But in the United States, we have the First Amendment. You know, there was this funny moment during the trucker revolt in Canada where someone in Toronto said, well, we have the First Amendment. We can do what we want. We can say what we want. And I thought to myself, no, you don't. You know, the First Amendment is our cross to bear in the United States. It's, it's our particular needle to thread. But my point is, since we have the First Amendment here, fining something like Facebook for leaving up hate speech, that would be a monumental political act in the United States. So your organization started in England. When you're there, are you sensitive to the fact that a large portion of these internet companies have First Amendment protections that makes it somewhat difficult to legislate them globally? Well, let's unpack that for a moment. I mean, so in uh, June 2020, I moved to Washington, D.C., which is where I live, uh, where I met my wife and where we're building our family. And that's because it felt that to affect the companies that seemed so indifferent to the plight of so many people, whether they are the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar, they are the Europeans uh, suffering under Orban and others who use digital media to, to create authoritarian regimes, or it was to Americans. I mean, I don't think they care about Americans either. Mm -hmm. um, it felt that actually you have to be on the jurisdiction that, that they're most afraid of because there is progress being made in Europe with the Digital Services Act. There's the online safety bill in the UK that CCDH had a lot of influence in shaping and pushing for over the past six years. But in the US, 
Here's the thing that people don't get about the First Amendment. The First Amendment doesn't protect trolls. It doesn't protect people spreading hate and misinformation. It protects the platform's ability to decide what's on their platform. Every single time that someone sued a platform for deplatforming them, judges have ruled that the First Amendment protects their ability to decide what's on their platform. Mm -hmm. And actually, social media companies are desperate to lie to us and say, oh, but we can't do anything. We're constitutionally bound by the First Amendment. In reality, it's their unwillingness to act to enforce their own First Amendment rights that has been the problem. We're going to take a break. Coming up, the Center for Countering Digital Hate asked five prominent women on Instagram to let the center review their DMs, including Amber Heard. The center poured over nearly 9,000 DMs looking for patterns in the kind of messages these women got. What did they find? That's after the break. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. We're back with Imran Ahmed of the Center for Countering Digital Hate. So I was on the internet very early on in the in even in the ARPANET days. And I remember that from the very beginning, harassment has been part of the online experience. And then there's this other thing that, as you know, has been true of the internet ideologically, is the the panic about censorship. The idea that, you know, internet speech would be censored maybe by the Chinese. So the internet begins as this antidote to gatekeepers who kind of want to control who gets to talk. That's how I sort of defend young Mark Zuckerberg, because he thought and sometimes still seems to think that there's this beauty and amazing idea that everyone could publish, that nobody needed to be vetted by the Ivy League and the New York Times. And that still exists as a reflex on the Internet. But as you say, it's been just abused till most of social media is just rotten to the core. Well, it has. And, you know, despite the ambitious initial aims of social media companies, what we've ended up with are platforms in which predators are connected to prey, in which the geography of power relationships on social media platforms actually enhances the power of dominant groups, whether it is big brands or it is abusers, and diminishes the rights of groups that have less power. Now, it allows some people to break through and, and gain power for themselves, but it's not a great flattening. In fact, what it does is enhances the peaks and troughs within our societies. And I think that what you also have is everyone deserves a chance. The social media platforms, when they were created, 
had the right message. But history has proven that their initial aims have been, if not completely, at least partially vitiated by the harms, the negative externalities and the economic speak. My frustration is that Mark Zuckerberg may have started out a nice guy. He may have started out a good Samaritan in the legal jargon from how social media companies are regulated in the US. But in reality, he's been an incredibly greedy, lazy, venal administrator of the public sphere. And he, he is not a fit and proper person to be doing so, nor are the other companies that we're dealing with. You know, there's a point at which you cannot not be aware of the harm being done by your platform. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a genocide being planned, orchestrated and proselytized on your platform that makes you go, hold on a second, have we become the bad guys? One of our most recent research reports on, on misogyny shows that their claims to be doing something as well are clearly untrue, that they're lying now. Mm. And so we've produced a schema around their playbook when they're faced with problems their companies cause. Initially deny there's a problem, mm-hmm. then deflect it and say, oh, it's society or it's someone else that's doing it. It's not us and we can't do much about it. It's delay uh, doing anything and say, well, this is very complicated. We'll have to build a new system. It's throwing dollars at it. You know, Facebook and Amazon are now bigger than Philip Morris and Exxon in lobbying in Washington. In the 2020 cycle, social media was the biggest industry lobbying in Washington, D.C., $120 million. And so these companies now throw dollars at it. But this is all designed to stave off the moment when they have to do the one thing they really don't want to do, which is actually spend the money to make their system safe. I mean, and it's it's got to be possible they're going to be unsafe at any speed, as they say, of cars or unsafe at any dose, as they say, of cigarettes. I mean, it's very hard to imagine a reformed Facebook. It's hard to imagine the company being profitable without spreading this kind of exciting, hyper-arousing, hateful language that gets people glued to the platform and more available to have their data taken. And that leads me to a report your organization put out called Hidden Hate. I found that just chilling. What was the research you did for that? And what did you find? Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, um, Instagram made a big announcement that they they recognized that abuse by DMs was a real problem, in particular for women, and they were going to take a zero tolerance approach to it. One of the things that CCDH does really well is design research to test the claims by social media companies, these big spin operations that they put out that get global coverage. And so we talked to five prominent women, um, one of whom was Amber Heard, the actress, Rachel Riley, a broadcaster in the UK, Jamie Klingler, an activist, Bryony Gordon, a journalist, and Sharon Daliwal, who's South Asian, she edits a culture magazine, Burnt Roti. And we asked them if we could download all of their DMs. And they said yes. So we downloaded all of their DMs and we analyzed them for how much unsolicited hate they received by DMs. Because we hear all the time from women that when they open their Instagram or their Twitter, it's the DMs that they fear the most. It's Mm -hmm. the thing that makes them not want to engage. And given that, social media is an increasingly, if not the primary space in which we create and maintain relationships, we create a brand, that we search for business opportunities, that we negotiate our values, we set our social mores, our norms of attitudes and behavior. 
um, that those spaces are really important to how we conduct our lives. And, and we want women to be able to fully participate in those spaces. And abuse was, was essentially, as one of our people put it, it was a tax on women mm-hmm. to mm. engage in those spaces. So we looked at 8,717 DMs in total, and we found that one in 15 DMs broke Instagram's rule on abuse and harassment. And in one of three categories, they were either unsolicited sexual imagery or videos, they were threats of physical harm, usually rape or killing them, and or it was one word misogynist abuse, which is a, a very sanitized term for a very disgusting word. So we were then using their, their Instagram accounts, we reported each one of these abusive DMs to the platform to see whether or not they really were taking a zero tolerance approach. Turns out they're not. Nine out of 10 times, no action was taken against abusers. Mm-hmm. So we found that social media companies are really failing to deal with something that they themselves have acknowledged is a major problem, which is the way in which DM abuse is used to terrorize women, just for having the temerity to use a social media platform the same way that anyone else does. We're going to take another short break. When we come back, are we doomed? Do we all ditch our computers and become homesteaders? Is social media irredeemable? Or is there still something we can try? Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. We're back with Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Center for Countering Digital Hate. You know... Imran, we're talking about rape threats, death threats. We're talking about all this so calmly in such neutral terms. And I can't tell if that's, you know, a certain sane response or if it's just extraordinary repression and normalization. Um, You know, so I always want to surface how anomalous this is and how criminal it is, while also making sure to, to... make sense of how commonplace it is and also how survivable it is. I don't know if you have this, but I have a lot of mixed motives here because the worst possible thing that this could drive the women I know online to do is to stop speaking, right? We had Brianna Wu on the show who is a target in Gamergate and she, you know, has found, as I have, a way to make peace with this. Hear it as noise that happens in a video game that is the internet. You know, There are times, Samantha B told me this, you can be called fat and it hurts 150,000 times and the 150,000 first time, it hurts less. I mean, that's tragic to me that we've had to accept that this is the cost of doing business in the digital world. And 
I mean, look, that's my that's my motivation. It's my job is yeah. to is to make it to, to to make it clear how unacceptable it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm South Asian and my family are Muslim. Um, if every time I left my home in DC, someone shouted at me, "You jihadist bastard," I wouldn't leave my home. I'd spend as much time home as possible. Um, if every time I walked down a street, someone said that to me, I'd know never to go down that street. I'd know that's a street that's not good for me. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea that we've allowed the creation of digital spaces in which that is what happens is to me bananas because these are designed by human beings. They're administered by human beings. They're populated by human beings. It's not digital beings that populate digital spaces. It's us. And so why on earth have we decided that it's acceptable that one plane of human interaction and existence shall have a completely aberrant set of social mores, norms of behavior and attitude and acceptable bounds of behavior than we would the offline world. So my job is to make sure that it's very clear where those malignancies are occurring. But I'll tell you in part why it's so important because we also do a lot of work on counter-terrorism and countering violent extremism. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that someone that feels the impunity to behave that way to women online may go on to do something terrible to a woman in future. That to me is unacceptable. It's just as unacceptable, of course, for anyone to receive abuse online. That's mm-hmm. a bad thing. It's damaging to the psychology and it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what's really interesting to me is that abuse is purposeful behavior. All communications is purposeful. We're trying to get something. What is the purpose of abuse? to silence people. And so during the pandemic, for example, we worked with vaccinologists at universities who were working on the vaccines that have Mm -hmm. saved millions of lives and freed us to be able to meet in person again, have our lives as normal. Mm -hmm. Those amazing, brave people, they were getting tons of abuse. I remember speaking to one group really distinctly where the first thing I said was, let me just tell you one thing, they're abusing you, not because you're a bad person, They don't believe any of the things they say about you. They're abusing you because you're a good person and they want to silence you. And this vaccinologist, this incredibly bright person just burst into tears because you need to hear that sometimes. Yeah, you do. Because you talk about Samantha B saying the 150,000 and first time, it's the one that really, it's, it's less bad. I've actually found that not to necessarily always be true. A thousand times I can deal with it. One day, my cat died last night, and my old cat from London, and I, you know, his new mom uh, emailed me and told me, if I'd received abuse last night, I'd have been crying my eyes out. Yeah. We, we all come to a situation with different things going on in our lives, and it might just not be the day to receive abuse. It might be the day it tips you into crying on your sofa on your own. It might be the day that tips you into something worse. It's why, you know, abuse is so unacceptable in the offline world, and why... I then trace it back to these shiny plastic liars in San Francisco telling us that there's nothing they can do about it. And hey, that's their First Amendment right. And I think that's bollocks, mate. I know it's not true. You could decide to spend the money on enforcing your rules, but you've instead decided to accrue $100 billion. That's what Mark Zuckerberg is worth, one of the Mm -hmm. richest men in the world. He is that rich because he's built his profits through being indifferent as to the harm being created on his platform, that he could, should he wish to, reduce his profits and make them safer, better, more harmonious, and actually, in my view, more economically sustainable spaces to be in.
I mean, I think you're bringing me around. I mean, first of all, I'm also sorry about your cat um, because there is sometimes I feel very fragile and vulnerable about this stuff. And I just think, why do I have to suck this up again? And you're reminding me that it doesn't have to be this way. At the same time, when I picture you walking down a street and getting getting yelled at, um, you know, I'm sure you have been called Islamophobic slurs before. And if you stayed in your house after all of those, that would be extremely disappointing. So there is a balancing act here where you want to make it clear that there's a lot structurally stacked against us. Um, also, I think to other women or, you know, femme presenting avatars online who get misogynistic attacks, I generally, you know, tell them, imagine that it's bots. Imagine that it's an algorithm. Like they try to seem human. They try to seem like someone that would say it to your face. But often they are like a video game avatar collectively saying it. And as you say, they just forget it. They forget it the second they've said it or they never meant it. So there are ways that as individuals, I think we can't stop fighting. We can't never leave our house just because someone used the C word half a dozen times. And at the same time, we have to be sensitive to the trauma. But I appreciate your saying it does not have to be this way. And it is ridiculous. It doesn't. So the first report we ever released at the CCDH was September 2019. And it was Don't Feed the Trolls. And it was a mental health driven and algorithmic analysis driven sort of mathematical solution to what to do to reduce the visibility of hatred. So our argument was that on a platform in which engagement equals amplification, engaging with hatred actually tells the algorithm, this is interesting, people are reacting to it, which is why, and as Francis Haugen has now told us yes. really- This is the whistleblower at Facebook. The whistleblower from Facebook. That's why we're seeing so much hatred and misinformation on our platforms, because it actually is engagement driven. And they've realized that the way to keep people on platforms consuming ads mm. is to present them with emotional, in particular, negative emotional content. So we know that. And in 2019, we wrote this report, which said, ignore the abuse, block the abuser and um, take a mental health break if you need, because it's not nice being abused and then report it to the platforms. And, you know, I look back now, I, I want to pat myself on my stupid little head and say, what a naive little chap you were, because in reality, they don't care if you report it to them. And that's why, you know, that final bit of it, what we expanded into in 2019, 2020 was saying to the government, you need to have our back too. So when the human right to life, for example, with um, vaccine disinformation is, is being harmed, when the human right to dignity well, you know, everyone talks about the First Amendment. It's the first, it's the First Amendment, but it's the First Amendment to the Constitution in which the most profound and fundamental rights that we have are to life, to dignity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to happiness in the American Constitution, which I really love about it. Yeah. Or it's pursuit anyway. <laughs> those, those are being vitiated so profoundly by other people's seeming that the impunity with which they express abusive or or they lie to you, or they spread misinformation. And so to me, it is important that people keep speaking. What I said to those vaccinologists is, you know, I gave them the advice that we give them, ignore, block, like take a mental health break. Mm -hmm. But then I said, do not stop speaking. Mm -hmm. Do not give them what they want. What they want is for you to react to them. Instead, ignore them, carry on as you were before. Yeah. And it's really important that we don't because you're absolutely right. I get 
ton of abuse and I don't care about any of it because mm -hmm. a, a because we have systems at CCDH where I never see the death threats or abuse I get ever. same I, I have I have someone who blocks for me right go straight to the FBI if it's a death threat go straight to the British police if it's a UK based death threat and if it's abuse I never see it so that's fine um but you know at the same time I have to carry on doing my job and, and I always say that would I choose to take on different targets if I was more aware of, of the abuse? So the abusers are seeking to make me not target them. And I can tell you that when I know that a particular group is particularly targeting me, I tell the team, let's double down on these people. Let's mm -hmm. go for it. Let's have some fun. Let's really get into it, guys. I love, I mean, there's nothing better. Uh, Taylor Lawrence is a writer at the Washington Post who gets a lot of this. And Brookings did a study of us of the abuse we'd gotten following Tucker Carlson's attack on us. So a non-online attack is on TV, but that instantly, you know, ricochets off every corner of the internet. And I saw these charts, these graphs, and it's, you know, Taylor, then she has the attack by Tucker Carlson and her abuse goes up a thousand percent. Me, you know, the abuse goes up 600 percent or whatever it is. But what I kept focusing on is before Tucker Carlson, it was just humming along at generally bad. You know, like the before picture is something that, you know, e either of our grandparents would say was a hell on earth. But bonding with Taylor, bonding with Brianna Wu, bonding with you over it, hearing let's have some fun, it's just such a relief to talk to other people who've gone through it and found some creative ways to at least release some of the anguish well with you and with taylor and with myself like i think one of the things to be really aware of is that we are relatively powerful like we have voices mm -hmm. and we have audiences we have influence i mean mm -hmm. i i get to speak to politicians all around the world a few weeks ago i pulled together politicians from the uk us australia new zealand canada the five eyes countries which share intelligence information and the eu in Washington DC to meet and talk about what legislation should we be putting into place to regulate social media platforms. And so, you know, we're relatively influential, but it's really important that we use this opportunity to deal with a real problem in modern society because change is possible. This is only 20 years old that we've had this experiment mm -hmm. in a new realm of human existence in which there are no rules. Turns out it's an absolute disaster for a whole load of people. Social media is really great in lots of respects. The pandemic ironically showed us that because, you know, I moved to the US during the pandemic. How do you think I got love and friendship and sucker? And, uh, you know, talked about stuff that I like talking about, like marmalade recipes and <laughs> things, very British things. Of course, it was social media. Um, but obviously, uh, as well, in that period, we also saw the proliferation of hatred and misinformation. It's time for some change. Yeah. I mean, this is actually quite moving. I mean, I can't, I don't let myself hope, you know. Um, and, well, do. Uh, a two. Do. Okay. You, you must hope. You must always hope. You must always believe that things can be better because that's actually, you know, the moral arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. And I believe that profoundly. Like human beings have made our world better and better in so many ways over so many centuries. There's less poverty. There's less famine. There's less war. The irony is that there's this kind of this tipping point in human history where the biggest threats to humanity don't come from external circumstances generated by, you know, the environment 
environment, or, but it actually comes from mm -hmm. human behavior. So climate change is a profound existential threat to human beings. You know, misinformation is another one of them. And so is the proliferation of hatred and, and the reversal of progress on social media. But we can still deal with it because it's, of course, of our making. And so therefore, we can break it too. Thank you so much, Imran. I mean, it's just been very personally heartening for me and also illuminating. Thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. That's it for this week's episode of This is Critical. Make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you like to listen. And if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review our show in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people learn about the show. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Corinne Wallace found our incredible guest this week. Ayla Fedder and Michelle O'Brien are the producers. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.